Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And thank you for being kind and patient with us as we nurse colds. Feeling okay over there, honey? Oh, yeah. Every time the grandkids come over, we get whatever they have. And we both got it this week. So please excuse our little raspy voices. Yeah. But we, we feel fine. We feel fine. So we're glad to be here. We always like to remind people this podcast is called Preserving Families and where that comes from. Years ago, President Spencer W. Kimball prophesied that the time would come when only those who believe deeply and actively in the family would be able to preserve their families in the midst of the gathering evil around us. It's really interesting. He, he shared that in a general conference talk in 1980. And here we are, you know, what, 40 years later, and we just see that prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. Anyway, we are super excited about our topic today. This is one, Janie, I would say you and I have thought a lot about over the years. We've talked a lot about it, and it's going to be pretty cool to talk about. And to introduce this topic, <laughs> yeah. we are going to start with this parable. We're calling the parable of the bushy-tailed squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Okay, as two men walked across an Eastern University campus, they were attracted by a crowd of people that were surrounding a large maple tree. And as they approached, they noticed that the crowd was being amused by the antics of this bushy-tailed, fox-tailed squirrel that was climbing the tree up and down, round and around. And, and there was an Irish setter dog nearby and was intently watching the squirrel. And every time the squirrel would run up the tree out of sight, the dog would slowly creep a little closer to the tree. And the squirrel paid little attention as the dog crept closer and closer, patiently biding its time. Yeah. Well, people watching this entertaining drama unfold knew what would happen if the dog got close to that squirrel, but they didn't do anything until in a flash, the dog jumped and catched the squirrel unaware and had it in this grip of its sharp teeth. The people then rushed forward in horror, forcing the dog's mouth open to, the re- to rescue the squirrel, but it was too late. The squirrel was dead, and anyone could have warned the squirrel or held back the dog, but they had been momentarily amused and watched silently while evil slowly crept up on good. And when they rushed to the defense, it was too late. Now, this is Apostle David B. Haight from a few years ago making commentary on this. He said, We see around us daily that which is portrayed in this parable. We sit idly by watching as an insidious stream of profanity, vulgarity, demeaning behavior, a mocking of righteous ideals and principles invades our homes and lives through most types of media teaching our children negative values and moral corruption we then become upset when our children perform differently than we wish they would have and social behavior continues to deteriorate well we think about that parable though and just and just consider it today even though elder hate may have used it years ago of just how true it is that when there's behavior that's poor or when there are commandments that are being broken or covenants violated, a lot of times we do kind of sit on the sidelines and idly watch. And that spins us right into the next story. So let me just, let us lay a foundation here from the Old Testament, from the book of 1 Samuel. And some of you have heard of Eli. He's the high priest that was very much involved in teaching and training and mentoring Samuel, 
uh, to be the boy prophet and to hear the Lord's voice. But when it came to his own sons, he was actually quite neglectful. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. Eli was the high priest. Uh, He was over the portable tabernacle in Shiloh. He was probably about 98 years old. He was a judge in Israel. Uh, His sons were also priests at the tabernacle. But here's a key. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, they knew not the Lord. In fact, they were called the sons of Belial, which means they were wicked. They were worthless. Hophni and Phinehas were hijacking the sacrifices. They were extorting the best portions of the meat for themselves, so they were corrupting the sacrifices. If individuals did not want these two brothers to take their sacrifice and eat the meat, they would take it by force, so they were, they were quite wicked. They were also guilty of sexual immorality, having sexual relationships with the women at the door of the tabernacle. In our mind, this would be like at the door of the temple, if we can conceive that. The Lord was quite displeased, as you could imagine, with Hophni and Phinehas. And Eli did confront his sons. We'll give him some credit for that. Why do you do such things, he said in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And you make the Lord's people to transgress. And he also said to them, it is no good report that I hear. Of course, this is a horrible report that he's hearing about his sons. But the brothers tuned out their father. Here's the line. They hearkened not unto the voice of their father. They were completely disobedient. And then a man of God never tells us who he is, but he came to Eli and told him straight up that his sons make a mockery of the sacrifices in the temple. And you, Eli, honor your sons above the Lord and make yourselves fat with the offerings of Israel. In fact, Eli's sons made themselves vile. And then here's the key to the whole story. You can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. And Eli restrained them not. Or in other words, these sons were wicked. They were acting out. They were doing horrible things. And Eli just turned his head. He just let it go. Now, the Lord said to Eli, because there's always consequences for this kind of behavior, but Eli and his house would be cut off from the Lord's favor. And Hophni and Phinehas would die on the same day, which they did in 1 Samuel Chapter 2, verses 30 to 34. And then when Eli heard that the ark was captured, he actually fell backwards off his seat, broke his neck, and died. Now, my good friend and colleague, Frank Judd, who wrote an article on this story that was published in The Religious Educator years ago, he said this, he said, Neglecting the serious responsibilities of parenting carries grave consequences. The Lord has declared in the latter days... He's going to quote Doctrine and Covenants section 68, that inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes which are organized, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost, by the laying on of hands, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. I love that story in the fact that it just teaches us so many great lessons. And I think there's so many things that we could pull out from that. But I think the main one that we're going to talk about today is the fact that Eli restrained them not. Yeah. I think that that's such a huge parenting mistake. It's a parenting trap. It's a parenting thing that maybe sometimes we all succumb to at one point or another. But when we see our children doing wrong things, sometimes we as parents do turn a blind eye for various reasons. Maybe we don't 
want, no, don't know how to handle it. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared of our children. Maybe we don't want them to be mad at us. Maybe we don't. I mean, we don't want to put the time and energy into something. That right. For, for very various reasons. And I can't speak for Eli and why he didn't restrain his sons who were so vile and evil and making a mockery of everything that was sacred there at the temple. But I think it's a really good lesson for us as parents to to take that where we need to restrain our children. We need to teach our children in every aspect of life from manners to how to behave in public. We need to teach them the gospel. We need to teach them values, you know, whatever we need to discipline them when they do things wrong. Yeah. There should be consequences for, for poor behavior. And so, yeah. And I think that's a commandment. The Lord was very upset with him that he didn't restrain his son. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about today is the responsibility that we as parents have from the Lord to raise up our children in truth and righteousness and teach them everything. That's our responsibility. That's not... That's the prime responsibility of parents, right? To be right. there, to be gospel teachers. And it's not the young women's leaders' responsibility. It's not the bishops. It's not the seminary teachers, whoever. It's not the church's responsibility mm-hmm. or even society's responsibility. It's us as parents that need to teach our children. Yep. Frontline. That's us. So we're going to use a modern example now, and this is a book that we're going to recommend to everyone. This is what we call an oldie but a goodie, and this book was published in 2001 by Michael Wilcox called Don't Leap with the Sheep, and what Brother Wilcox does is an incredible job of going through the scriptures and just pulling out these great lessons for for families, for youth, for, for parents, and we want you to know that that book is still available. I just looked it up on Amazon, and it's still out there. So oh, it's a good one. We recommend it's it to everyone, highly, right? Highly, yeah. Didn't you do a few entire girls' camps? We actually on, did. Don't, we've, don't leave with the sheep. We've done girls' camps around. Don't leave with the sheep. We've yeah had a family reunion about it <laughs> because it's so powerful. And one of the stories that Brother Wilcox shares, and this is really the the focus for us today. We've talked about neglectful parenting, parents turning a blind eye, but we're going to call it grass licking. And uh, Brother Wilcox is going to teach a principle here in a story that we hope that you'll all really consider and absorb and think of what we all could do here, maybe just a little bit differently. So here is Brother Wilcox's story. He said, the chore I hated as a boy was fixing fence. It was a hot, miserable job. It was extremely boring. And hour after hour, he said that we would just walk the miles of barbed wire fence lines. And we would often stop where the cattle had stretched the wires or broken the post and we'd repair the damage. And he says, I knew how most of the holes or broken posts had been made. It didn't matter much where you put the fence. The cows always felt there was better grass on the other side. And so the expression that the grass is always greener on the other side was probably invented by a cow, Brother Wilcox says. He said the middle of the meadow could be full of green grass, but the cows would wander the fence line looking through those wires. Then they would stick their heads through the wire and eat the grass on the other side. And so that's how these wires would become expanded and stretched out. So not satisfied with this, Brother Wilcox continues in his story that these cows would eventually push against the wire, stretching their long tongues out as far as they could to lick the grass into their mouths. In time, the fence would break down, the post would weaken, and these huge holes would appear in the fence line. Now, let me read some of Brother Wilcox's commentary about what he just said. And once again, keep in mind, he said it in 2001, but I think it still applies. He says, the Lord has built some fairly sturdy fences 
to protect his children, a great reminder that those fences are to protect. There is plenty of good green grass in the middle of his meadow, but far too often we look longingly through his fence to the entertainment, the pleasures, the ambitions, the fashions, and the desires of the world. And many church members would never think of actually breaking out of the Lord's protective fence, but they see no harm maybe in poking their heads through the wires to reach as far outside as they possibly can. And so Brother Wilcox says, morally speaking, they are licking grass. Occasionally, some even want the Lord and his prophets to move the fence for their convenience. Now, once again, even though Brother Wilcox said this over 20 years ago, it's just incredible how relevant what he's saying is today. Brother Wilcox goes on to say, I noticed while taking care of the cattle as a boy that more often than not, the cows did not go through the holes they had created in the fence, but the calves did. Sometimes we would ride up the fence line and find a calf separated from its mother. Often it would be half-starved and bawling to get back inside the fence next to the mother. The calves seemed to know how to escape through the holes that the older cattle had made, but rarely did they know how to step back through those holes. If they were not found, sometimes they died. Hopefully the metaphor here is super clear, right? Yes, exactly. This is the true tragedy of grass-licking obedience to the standards and counsels of the church. Parents must be careful in their own pushing of the limits not to create holes that their children will slip through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compromising, for example, on the types of movies we watch as a family may create a hole that our children will crawl through on their own to their own destruction. Mm. One generation's exception becomes the next generation's rule as standards of behavior deteriorate. And if the cows had stayed in the center of the meadow, no calf would ever have been lost. So true, right? So true. That's why we were telling our grandkids about a, a month ago, stay away from the edge of the cliff. You know, you can't <laughs> fall off unless you're on the edge. That's <laughs> so true. Now, Brother Wilcox continues for a minute where he says, this truth is, is demonstrated in the, in the introductory chapters of the introductory chapters to the book of Judges. The Lord gave clear instructions to the Israelites that they were to drive out the Canaanites from the land when they went to possess it. Joshua worked diligently, Brother Wilcox explained, to accomplish this, but at his death there was still more work to do. And so in the first chapter of Judges, we read over and over that individual tribes dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. So the Lord said, you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? The Lord knew that if the older generation did not control the environment their children would be raised in, the Canaanite gods would be a snare unto them. This is all Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2. The older generation were not compromised by the values or the gods of the land, for they had been made strong in testimony by their experiences in the wilderness. Remember, these are the people that walked through the wilderness with Moses for 40 years. But... There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And they forsook the God of their fathers and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. So the Lord gave this clear instruction to the Israelites that they were to drive these Canaanites out. If not, the Canaanites would basically take hold of of the hearts of their children. And they didn't do it. Right. We can't help but see why the Lord put that story in the scriptures. It's a warning to every older generation to be cautious about what we tolerate 
in our homes and our society. And right. I think, again, a call to arms to parents that we have to teach. We have to set boundaries. We have to create Prote- an environment, protect our children. Yeah, as they protect and fortify for yeah, sure, right? Yeah. Elder Neely Maxwell strongly taught this truth in General Conference. He said, All are free to choose, of course, and we wouldn't have it otherwise. Unfortunately, however, when some choose slackness, they are choosing not only for themselves, but for the next generation and the next. Small of equivocations in parents can produce large deviations in their children. I love that. Small equivocations (laughs) in parents can produce large deviations in their children. Right. In fact, we see that in so many different areas, socially, politically, of course, religiously, emotionally. But we think of those small doors that parents can open up, allowing their children to walk through. And occasionally there are casualties from that. That reminds me of a story that Elder Holland talked about a while ago. And he said, not long ago, Sister Holland and I met a fine young man who came in contact with us after he had been roaming around through the occult and sorting through a variety of Eastern religions, all in an attempt to find religious faith. His father, he admitted, believed in nothing whatsoever, but his grandfather, he had told us, was actually a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but he didn't do much with it, the young man said. He was always pretty cynical about the church. From a grandfather who is cynical, to a son who is agnostic, to a grandson who is now looking desperately for what God had already once given his family. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, totally. What a classic example of the warning Elder Richard L. Evans once gave. He said, sometimes some parents mistakenly feel that they can relax a little as to conduct and conformity or take perhaps a so-called liberal view of basic and fundamental things, thinking that a little laxness or indulgence won't matter. Or they may fail to teach or to attend church or to maybe voice critical views of the church. Some parents seem to feel that they can ease up a little on the fundamentals without affecting their family or their family's future. But, he observed, if a parent goes a little off course, the children are likely to exceed the parent's example. So profound. It reminds me, Janie, as you're sharing that, of just some experiences I've had recently where one one parent told me that we've taught our children to question everything. And once again, we have to say this the right way because questioning is good. We want people to question But if you're teaching them on one hand to question everything, but on the other hand, you're not giving them the tools and the resources to navigate that and to balance that out, I think you're gonna be in trouble. I just talked to another couple recently who the wife said, you know what, my husband does nothing in our home spiritually at all with our family. If we do anything with our family, I have to do it. And I just often think, okay, dad, what? how do you think that's gonna turn out? I mean, what, what does that look like 20 years from now when your children have never ever heard you share your feelings about the gospel, you've never read a, a scripture to them, you've never told them a gospel story or any experiences from your mission, wh- where's that going, right? You know, years ago we were at Philmont at LDS Leadership Week and I still remember this wonderful man, he was a stake president somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and he had told us the story of a man that he had home taught for like over 20 years and uh, mentioned that this family wasn't active in the church at all. And he said, when each of those uh, children were approaching the age of baptism, the father decided that they wouldn't be allowed to be baptized at the age of eight. He just felt that eight was too young. And so none of them were allowed to be baptized. And then then that stake president looked at us and said, you know, 
none of those kids are even members of the church today. And then he said, isn't it ironic that a father who wanted his children to have this agency to decide when to be baptized literally took their their agency away? I mean, talk about opening a door or a hole in the fence and walking through. So yeah, we've seen many examples over the years of of grass licking, of parents sticking their heads through those wires, stretching them out, and having their children walk right through there, that gaping hole. And I'm sure as all parents, we've had issues with this, right? I mean, no one's perfect. I'm sure we've all stretched our necks through those holes in the fence and made them a little wide. Maybe one of the greatest evidences of grass licking that we see today is with social media, cell phone use, the internet, texting, to give our children those devices at such a young age, and we're seeing them, you know, younger and younger, right? I mean, yeah, with no supervision, with no parental guidance, with no teaching going on, that these kids are being so affected <laughs> and taught. And I mean, talk about poking holes <laughs> through the fence. Yeah. I know some of the things that we've noticed too that is total grass licking are parents who don't even require their children to attend seminary or yeah. even sign up for seminary right? or who don't support them in that, whether it's early morning or release time. But that's, that's concerning. That's total grass licking parents who don't expect their children to attend mutual like Wednesday night activities and support, you know, their ward leaders, people who are parents who don't attend, you know, encourage their children to attend youth conference and EFYs and, they're young FSY men's camps. Or, and... Yeah, all those things where they just think maybe family vacations are better or maybe their kids don't want to go and they just don't push them, you know, to be there. And so that's, that's grass licking. And, 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 you know, the question often is, okay, where did those behaviors lead? You know, as you're a parent and you're opening that hole in the fence. And I, I still remember a, a vivid conversation I heard in the hallway where, where we lived at the time, a family had a son come home from his mission just after serving for a week. And, and once again, we, we see a lot more of that now. But 20 years ago, that was kind of a, an anomaly, you know. But, but I remember a, a priesthood leader saying in a candid way to that father that, look, you haven't been engaged in the gospel. You haven't come to church yourself. If you ever come, you leave early. If you, you, just, you haven't participated in ward activities, you're just never around. And so why would you expect that your kid would go on a mission and be this all-star missionary when the example that he saw was was not really that great, you know. And I know I'm sure that was hurtful to hear as a parent, but there was a, there was some wisdom in that comment. Right. Parents who are critical of local leaders or prophets and apostles or constantly complain about church policies, procedures, or doctrine, and then they wonder why their kids, you know, hate the church or find fault or, or critical. And, and then another one that I think we're really seeing today is parents who don't teach their children about their true identity, about gender, about the family proclamation. Because if you're not teaching your children that they're male and female, and I know this is really controversial today, but if you're not teaching that early and often, that that's the kids are going to get really confused and messed up by the voices of the world and the philosophies of men. Yeah, we've reached a time where that... that that concept of identity and even gender identity just really needs to be taught in the home, right? That's the place to help equip our children to deal with some of those challenges today. So the question is for all of us is, okay, what do you do? I mean, how do you prevent grass licking or how do you prevent opening those wires up, you know, and 
having your children or even grandchildren walk, walk through those wires. And there's probably a lot of things we could say today, but we believe that a talk that Elder Holland gave years ago has so many of the answers in it. The talk was called A Prayer for the Children. And we think that we would invite everyone to read that. If you haven't read it in a while, it is worth the read. And we're just going to read a few a few statements he made in that talk. Here we go. First, in offering such a prayer for the young, may I address a rather specific aspect of their safety, our children's safety. In this I speak carefully and lovingly to any of the adults of the church, parents or otherwise, who may be given to cynicism or skepticism or who in matters of wholesale devotion always seem to hang back a little, who at the church's doctrinal campsite always like to pitch their tents out on the periphery of religious faith. To all such whom we do love and wish were more comfortable camping nearer to us, I say, please be aware that the full price to be paid for such a stance does not always come due in your lifetime. No, sadly, some elements of this can be kind of a prolific national debt with payments coming out of your children's and grandchildren's pockets in far more expensive ways than you ever intended it to be. So yes, maybe we don't see the consequences immediately, but we certainly can see them down the road generation from generation. Janie, like the talk that, you know, like the story you shared just a minute ago. Yeah. That was affecting a grandchild, right? Yeah. Elder Holland goes on to say, but no child in this church should be left with uncertainty about his or her parents' devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, the restoration of his church, and the reality of living prophets and apostles, who now, as in earlier days, lead that church according to the will of the Lord the mind of the Lord and the word of the God, of the Lord and the power of God unto salvation. And I love how Elder Holland says it here, which is total grass licking right. <laughs> in my mind. But he says, parents simply cannot flirt with skepticism or cynicism and then be surprised when their children are expanded that flirtation into full-blown romance. If it ma- if matters of faith and belief, children are at risk of being swept downstream by this intellectual current or that cultural rapid, we as their parents must be more certain than ever to hold to anchored, unmistakable moorings clearly recognizable to those of our own household. It won't help anyone if we go over the edge with them, explaining through the roar of the falls all the way down that we really did know that the church was true and that the keys of the priesthood really were lodged there, but we just didn't want to stifle anyone's freedom to think otherwise. (laughs) No, we can hardly expect the children to get to shore safely if the parents don't seem to know where to anchor their own boat. Wow, so profound, right? Yeah, Elder Holland just has a way of saying <laughs> everything the right way, doesn't he? He was talking about grass licking, and I don't even know if he knew about grass licking at the time. But I'm, I'm going to share this with you from the from his talk as well. But you know, to those parents who hold back, who neglect, who refuse to address some of those behaviors that need to be changed, or even hold back in testimony. Here's Elder Holland, to lead a child or anyone else, even inadvertently, away from faithfulness, away from loyalty and bedrock belief, simply because we want to be clever or independent is licensed. No parent nor any other person has ever been given. In matters of religion, a skeptical mind is not a higher manifestation of virtue than is a believing heart. Don't you love that? I mean, just to have him say it that way. Because I do think we live in an era where having a skeptical mind 
is almost valued more than a believing heart. Right. You know? Exactly. And then he said this because if you're if you're waiting for the grand aha of what's the answer to this, I think Elder Holland gives it in just these words. He says, "Live the gospel as conspicuously as you can, and keep the covenants your children know you have made. Give priesthood blessings and bear your testimony, and don't just assume your children will somehow get the drift of your beliefs on your own." You know, Mark. Sometimes I get really frustrated. <laughs> in like testimony meeting or things like that when people stand up and say, oh, my kids are here, so I need, I really felt like I needed to stand up and bear my testimony today. Right. Because I feel like that should be happening all the time. That should be happening in family home evening. That should be happening by the way you live. That should be happening as you're driving in the car. Is that, as you know, as you have different experiences, you can easily simply bear your testimony about a principle but to just do it one time in a sacrament meeting in front of the whole world when that can easily be taking place in your home. Sometimes I get really frustrated by that because I'm like, take it home. Bear your testimony to your children and to your grandchildren. Well, and you're in good company because Elder Bednar said that frustrated him too. Oh, what did you say? On one occasion where he said that that made him a little, I'm not going to use, I can't quote him exactly, but, you know, that it made him almost a little uncomfortable, you know when you hear phrases like that because of of what you just said, you know, that that those testimonies need to be shared, you know, in the home and often. And I love I love how Elder Holland says, live the gospel as conspicuously you can. It's like we need to be living that every day. We need to keep our covenants, bear our testimony, give priesthood blessings. This is a way of life. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a once in a lifetime thing that our children need to know that our whole life, our whole foundation is built on the Savior, on the rock, and that this is happening all the time. I love that. And in, in fact, I want to go back to your that testimony thing that you were just sharing, because I still remember a, an event in my life that really had an impact on me where my friend's father had come up from Arizona to BYU, you know, to Provo years ago. And I asked him, I asked my friend's dad, hey, so now why'd you come up? Because I know BYU's playing so-and-so, is that why? And he said, actually, I have four sons here at BYU, and I don't think they've heard my testimony lately. And I just drove up here to share that with them, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, what a good dad that would take the time to do that. But back to Janie, what you were saying, living the gospel, having the gospel be the centerpiece of our lives and talking about it often and using it and letting our kids see us living and and you know, activating the gospel in our lives and our hearts makes all the difference in the world. So we'd like to conclude today using Elder Holland's talk, A Prayer for the Children, as he asked of parents what I would call very key questions for all of us to think about. If we want to close that gap of the fence, stay in the center of the pasture, eat that deep, keep, deep Keep our grass. calves right in the middle, right? Yeah, we want to keep our calves in the middle of the pasture. Not close to the edge. And the first thing President or Elder Holland asks is, what do our children know about the gospel from us personally? Right. We can ask that of ourselves. You know, as parents, what do our children know from us? I heard Elder Theodore Tuttle years ago, you know, say that if the church was gone, if there was no church, what would your children know about the gospel of Jesus Christ if it was just up to you? I think that's a great question. Number two from Elder Holland, do our children know that we love the scriptures? And do they see us reading them and marking them and clinging to them for daily life? To, ha to have our children hear us occasionally quote a scripture or share what a scripture 
means to us could make all the difference in the world. Or scripture stories, making the scripture, the people in the scriptures come to life and help them be our heroes to our children and watch how they dealt with adversity and the things in their life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Okay, number three, have our children ever unexpectedly opened a closed door and found us on our knees in prayer? Have they heard us not only pray with them, but also pray for them out of nothing more than sheer parental love? Love that. I uh, just read a talk by Elder, not a talk, but a, a story about Elder Oaks's life. And one of his daughters, Charmin, I think, said that two of her favorite things in life growing up in the Oaks home was first when she saw her parents being affectionate with each other and kissing each other in the kitchen. But the second one was walking into her parents' room to let her know, let them know that she was home and there was her dad on his knees in prayer. What a lasting memory that could be to help a child know where their parents' devotion lies. Number four, do our children know that we believe in fasting as sometimes more than just an obligatory first Sunday of the month hardship? And do they know that we fasted for them and for their future on days about which they knew nothing? Number five, do they know we love being in the temple, not least because it provides a bond to them that neither death nor the legions of hell can break? Wow, mm. that's pretty powerful from Elder Holland. But I think that's such an important thing that our children see us going to the temple, that they see us sacrificing time, that they see us making appointments, talking about the experiences we've had there that we can share that you know sharing temple work and family history and all those things and how important that that puts a love in the of the temple in their hearts i think really what we're talking about is just putting the gospel on the front page you know in everything that we do i janie i'm glad you said that about the temple as you quoted elder holland because i remember on one occasion since my temple worship has been very private when i go often it's different times of the day i don't make a display about it but one of our daughters once asked, Dad, do you ever go to the temple? And I realized what a mistake that was to never really have them see us going and doing that or talking about it afterwards. I think that's important. Number six is one of my favorites. Do they know that we love and sustain local and general leaders? You know, we talked about grass licking and parents who criticize church leaders. And then here's Elder Holland, imperfect as they are, one, for their willingness to accept callings they did not seek in order to preserve a standard of righteousness, number two, a standard of righteousness that they did not create. Well, every priesthood leader, every youth leader, every woman and man in the church who leads needs the prayers of the people. There's no, com there's no question about that in my mind. And Elder Holland's last question, number seven, do your children know that you love God with all of your heart and that we long to see his face and fall at the feet of his only begotten son? He says, I pray that they know this. And I think that is the most important one of all is do our children know that we love our heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ? Do they know that they are at the center of everything that we put them before everything else in our life, that we love them enough to keep their commandments and to do the things that they ask us to do? Yeah, and I think they can see that. Our children can see that by by our devotion and by how much, you know, well, how seriously we take commandments and covenants, like you said, and, and serve in the church and build his kingdom. And once again, you know, putting this on the table, I think what Elder Holland is teaching us today is that when the gospel is the center of our life and when we talk about it and teach it constantly in our homes, then the influence is incredible 
and amazing. And once again, the outcome we can't control. We know that there, are, that with with agency, that doesn't mean that every child is going to be fully engaged and all in the gospel. But it's certainly the right way to live, and it makes it a lot of difference. And it can protect and insulate us from those gaping holes in the fence. And it's so hard not to finish strong with Elder Holland's words again. Now, everyone, this talk, a prayer for the children, the April 2003 General Conference. When erecting their sacred tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai, the ancient children of Israel were commanded to make firm their supporting cords and strengthen the stakes which held them. The reason, and here it is for all of us, back to Elder Holland, storms arise in life regularly. So fix it, fasten it, and then fix it and fasten it again. Even then we know that some children will make choices that break their parents' hearts. Moms and dads can do everything right and yet have children who stray. Moral agency still obtains. But even in such painful hours, it will be comforting for you to know that your children knew of your abiding faith in Christ, in his true church, in the keys of the priesthood, and in those who hold them. It will be comforting for them then for you to know that if your children choose to leave the straight and narrow way, they leave it very conscious that their parents were firmly in it. Furthermore, they will be much more likely to return to that path when they come to themselves and recall the loving example and the gentle teachings you offered them there. Boy, I find great comfort in those words from Elder Holland. As I read that, or I think of these words from the scriptures, from 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, that we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. And then the verse that you're most familiar with, verse 26, that, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to look to what source they may look for remission of their sins. Oh, I love that our children can know to what source we look for all of our strength, from all of our power, and for all the might that we have, it comes from the Savior. So today, for an invitation, LDS, let's do something. We would invite you to look for the holes in your own fence, to see what's there and to see how those holes can be mended. It wouldn't take long to mend a small hole in the fence. You could do it. You got this. And let your children know how you feel about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about, the, about Christ as your Savior, about Joseph Smith the prophet, about President Nelson, about the scriptures, whatever you choose. It could be one small thing, but it can make a huge difference in their life. In fact, I bet that if you had that opportunity to do it, your children would always remember maybe even for the rest of their lives. I remember exactly where I was the day, they may say, that my mom or dad shared this scripture with me. I've never forgotten it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for bearing with us with our voices as we fought these colds. But we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, have a wonderful day.